is music notes and more with your host, Jason Ginty. Led Zeppelin got paid 750 bucks for a concert. A kink gets shot. Nirvana on Saturday Night Live. Black Sabbath get paranoid. Carly Simon's mystery. And David Bowie releases his final album. That and much more as we take a look back at music history for the week of January 5th. Going back to this week in 1969, the band's first North American tour. That's right, I'm talking about Led Zeppelin. They played the last of four nights at the famed Whiskey-A-Go-Go in L.A. Alice Cooper was the opening act. You see, Led Zeppelin were billed at the time as Led Zeppelin, featuring Jimmy Page, formerly of the Yardbirds. That must be one hell of a marquee out front, right? Well, the tour ended with them as the headliners. It started out much differently, though. You see, Led Zeppelin made their North American concert debut December 26, 1968 in Denver. They appeared first on a three-band bill that also featured Vanilla Fudge and Spirit. Now, as concert promoter Barry Ferry calls, however, it's a milestone that almost happened in a different city. In his memoir called Backstage Past, Faye remembers getting the call from v- Vanilla Fudge's booking agent, Ron Terry, a little more than a week before the concert, asking him to add another group to the Denver date, which was already sold out, so you don't need to add another band. Faye refused at first, but Terry was persistent. He says, quote, Barry, this group is called Led Zeppelin. They're going to be huge. Still unwilling to cave in, Faye got another phone call from Terry, who told him, hey, look, quote, Vanilla Fudge has agreed to take $750 of the money you were going to pay them, and they'll give it to Led Zeppelin if you'll pay them $750 too. Well, considering this, Faye thought about the fact that Vanilla Fudge was offering to give some of their money to the group that no one's ever heard of in the States that's never played in North America. So he made the deal with Terry and booked Led Zeppelin for their first North American show for the now unbelievable sum of 750 bucks out of pocket. Led Zeppelin, of course, did not disappoint. After introducing the group, Faye watched Led Zeppelin deliver a stunning set. To this day, he's still amazed that the band's spirit managed to go on after Zeppelin finished their show. He immediately saw the future success that the group would have. He says, quote, you didn't have to be a genius to know that Zeppelin was going to be a smash. Oh, my God, people were going crazy. The following morning, Faye got a phone call from the program director at a Denver rock radio station. The phone lines were jammed, everyone asking about who played on the gig last night. Well, luckily, Faye had in his possession a copy of Led Zeppelin's unreleased debut album, which he took over to the radio station They immediately put it on the air, playing it nonstop that entire day. The Led Zeppelin rocket ride to the top was beginning. This week, back in 1973, Bruce Springsteen released his debut album called Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. He recorded it in a single week, and the album only sold about 25,000 copies in the first year of its release. Both Blinded by the Light and Spirit in the Night were released as singles, but neither made a dent on the charts. 
Later on, Manfred Mann's Earth Band uh, released a version of Blinded by the Light on their album, The Roaring Silence, which reached number one on the U.S. charts in 1977. It was in 1998 this week that American singer, producer, and politician Sonny Bono was killed in a skiing accident at a resort near Lake Tahoe. He was 62 years of age. Of course, Bono was one half of the Sonny and Cher uh, duo, duo that had the uh, hit I Got You, Babe. They had a TV show together, and of course, he became a United States congressman. Now, the United States Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act of 1998, which extended the term of copyright by 20 years, was named in honor of Sonny Bono when it was passed by Congress nine months after his death. It was in 2004 that Kinks singer Ray Davies was shot in the leg while on vacation in New Orleans. Davies and his girlfriend were taking a stroll down a street near the French Quarter when a car pulled up alongside them. A young guy got out and demanded his girlfriend's purse. She handed it over without any resistance, but a kind of boldness bubbled up inside of Davies that made him chase down the thief with the goal of retrieving his girlfriend's purse. Well, the robber shot Davies in the leg, got in the car, and drove off. Ray Davies was rushed to the hospital for treatment, and while his injuries weren't life-threatening, the incident had a powerful effect on him. He chronicled the episode in his 2013 book called Americana, The Kinks, The Riff, The Road, The Story. See, the assailant was caught, but the case was dismissed later on because Davies failed to appear in court to testify. Ray Davies claims that he was notified of the trial only days before he was asked to appear, and he couldn't make the trip from London. Whatever the details of the failed trials, it seems that despite claims to pursue the case until justice was served, Davies let the matter pass. It was this week back in 1973 that Carly Simon's song, You're So Vain, started a three-week run at number one on the U.S. singles chart. Now, for years, people have speculated about who the song was about, right? You've probably had this conversation at some point. Oh, you're so vain. It's about this guy. It's about this person. Well, most people figured it was a song about Mick Jagger. Well, it wasn't about Mick Jagger at all. You see, he contributed uncredited backing vocals to the song. It certainly wasn't about Mick Jagger. In 2015, after keeping quiet for more than 40 years, Carly Simon finally admitted that You're So Vain was about the actor Warren Beatty, but only one verse of the song was about him. Simon said uh, the other verses were about two other men whom remain secret to this day. It was this week back in 1971 that Black Sabbath released the album Paranoid. It was their second studio album in the United States. Now, the album features the band's best-known signature songs, including the title track, Iron Man, and War Pigs. The album was originally titled War Pigs, but allegedly the record company changed it to Paranoid, fearing a huge backlash from supporters of the ongoing Vietnam War. Remember, it was 1971. The addition of the air raid siren in the song War Pigs and the speeding up of the song at the end, that was the work of the album's producer and engineer, the band. They had no input on that decision, but once they heard it, they realized, hey, that was cool, and they liked it. The title track was actually done after the band thought they'd completed the entire album. Yeah, they didn't have enough songs, 
So Tony Iommi played the guitar lick for Paranoid, and 25 minutes later, they had the track completed. Geezer Butler, who wrote the lyrics, was against Paranoid being on the album because he thought it sounded too much like Led Zeppelin's communication breakdown. Iron Man was originally called Iron Bloke. Ozzy Osbourne came up with it after saying the track sounded like a big iron bloke walking around. They, of course, later changed it to Iron Man. It was in 1991 that Steve Clark, the guitarist for Def Leppard, was found dead at his home uh, by his girlfriend after a night of heavy alcohol consumption combined with prescription drugs. The autopsy revealed he had died from an overdose of codeine and had Valium, morphine, and a blood alcohol level of 0.303 times the British legal driving limit. It was in 2016 that David Bowie released his 25th and final studio album. It was called Black Star, and it coincided with his 69th birthday and two days before his death. It became his first and only album to reach number one on the Billboard 200 album chart in the U.S. At the 59th Annual Grammy Awards, the album won awards for Best Alternative Music Album, Best Engineered Album, Best Recording Package, and the title single won Best Rock Performance and Best Rock Song. The album was also awarded the British Album of the Year at the 2017 Brit Awards. And it was this week in 1947 that David Bowie, the English singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, painter, and actor, was born. His music and stagecraft significantly influencing popular music and during his lifetime, his record sales estimated at 140 million worldwide made him one of the world's best selling music artists. David Bowie was born David Jones. He later changed his name to Bowie to avoid confusion with monkey Davy Jones. And yes, he chose Bowie after the Bowie knife. Rock guitarist Peter Frampton was one of David Bowie's friends at school. You see, his dad was head of the art department. Uh, Frampton went on to play guitar many times with Bowie throughout their careers. Now, one of David Bowie's pupils was permanently dilated. A lot of people think that he has two different color eyes. Well, it's just because one is permanently dilated wide open. This happened after his friend George Underwood punched him in the eye while the pair were still in school. The fight was over a girl. Underwood and Bowie actually remained good friends with Underwood doing artwork for some of Bowie's early albums. Bowie's first U.S. number one hit was his single called Fame, and it was in 1975. It was co-written by John Lennon and features Lennon on backing vocals. David Bowie plays just about every single instrument on the album Diamond Dogs, including the famous guitar riff on the song Rebel Rebel. In 2003... Queen Elizabeth offered to knight David Bowie, but he respectfully declined, saying, quote, I seriously don't know what it's for. Bowie drew, painted, sculpted, and wrote in his spare time. David Bowie died from liver cancer at his New York home in January of 2016. This week in 1976, Queen were at number one on the singles chart with their song Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, the single enjoyed a nine-week run on the chart, selling more than a million copies by the end of the month. It reached number one again in 1991 for five weeks following Freddie Mercury's death, eventually becoming the United Kingdom's third best-selling single of all time. 
Now, the song originally peaked at number nine in 1976, but returned to the chart again in 1992 after being used in the film Wayne's World and reached a new peak at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart uh, when the release of the biopic Bohemian Rhapsody in 2018 resulted in renewed popularity and chart success worldwide once again for the song. Brian May, Freddie Mercury, and Roger Taylor reportedly sang their vocal parts continually for 10 to 12 hours a day. The entire piece took three weeks to record and in some sections featured 180 separate overdubs. Since the studios of the time only offered 24-track analog tape, it was necessary for the three to overdub themselves many times and bounce these down to successive sub-mixes. Basically, what that means is in the end, eighth-generation tapes were used. The various sections of tape containing the desired submixes had to be spliced out and assembled in the correct sequence. Brian May recalled placing a tape in front of the light and being able to see through the tape, which you're not supposed to be able to do, as the tape had been used so many times it was worn thin. According to the song's producer, if you really listen to it, the ballad starts off very clean and sounds perfect in the beginning. And as the opera section gets louder and louder, the vocals get more and more distorted. And you can still hear it on CD today. The vocals are clearly distorted. This week in 1944, Jimmy Page, guitarist and producer, member of the Yardbirds and uh, what's the other band I'm thinking of? Oh yeah, Led Zeppelin was born. Uh, the band's fourth album, released in 1971, featured, of course, the rock classic Stairway to Heaven, and that album has sold over 37 million copies. He also formed the band The Honey Drippers with Robert Plant, Jeff Beck, and Nile Rodgers, and they had the number three single called Sea of Love. And as a session guitarist in the 1960s, where Page got his start, he played on the song Here Comes the Night by Them, Shout by Lulu, and The Who's Can't Explain. Jimmy Page has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. The first time, of course, was in 1992 as a member of the Yardbirds and again in 1995 as a member of Led Zeppelin. It was in 1992 that Nirvana appeared on Saturday Night Live performing two songs, Smells Like Teen Spirit and Territorial Pissings, both from their Nevermind album. They were the first grunge band to be featured on a nationally syndicated television program. Mainstream America finally got a big, fat, big, bold first impression of Kurt Cobain with his bright red hair, dyed with strawberry Kool-Aid, by the way, a flipper t-shirt, and an amplified rendition of the song Smells Like Teen Spirit. For their second and final song, for their Saturday Night Live debut, Nirvana ripped through a live version of Territorial Pissings. It concluded... Uh, with their tradition of smashing all of their gear to smithereens. Now, knowing this ahead of time, the Saturday Night Live producers swapped out their amps with less expensive models. Good thing, because Kurt Cobain actually pierced one of them with the head of his guitar. And the same day that Nirvana performed on Saturday Night Live, their album, Nevermind, went to number one on the U.S. album chart. Nirvana would actually return to Saturday Night Live 22 months later, one last time, where they would perform Heart Shaped Box and Rape Me. This week, back in 2017, rockabilly guitarist Tommy Alsop 
who narrowly avoided boarding the plane that killed Buddy Holly, died at age 85. Now, the musician famously lost a coin toss for a seat on the airplane. His place was taken by Richie Valens, who also died when the plane crashed. Elsop actually went on to become a Grammy-winning musician who played with Merle Haggard, Roy Orbison, and Willie Nelson. Music notes and more, written, produced, and hacked together by me, Jason Ginty, and is brought to you by Pirates of the Quarter Tours, the most unique walking tour of the French Quarter in New Orleans. Get the details at piratesofthequarter.com. And be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and be sure to check out my YouTube channel.